This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. One political convention down, one more to go. The Democrats wrapped up a week of made-for-TV moments in lieu of a traditional in-person convention last week, and now it is the Republicans' turn. Although the speaker's list at this week's convention signals that it's going to strike a really different tone than what we saw last week. Here to break down the DNC and to preview the RNC are two Michigan politicos and friends of the show who know a thing or two about selling a message to voters. John Selleck is president and CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. He worked for Attorneys General Mike Cox and Bill Schuette, Governor Engler, and in the Michigan legislature. John, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Also with us is Adrian Hemond, who is a partner and CEO of Grassroots Midwest. Uh, Adrian, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Enjoy being with you. Yes. Okay, so let's start by getting both of your overall impressions of how the Democrats did with their convention last week. John Selleck, I'm going to start with you. Well, I'll be real basic. Um, conventions nowadays are not about actually voting and selecting anything. Conventions are mostly um, about bringing party unity, about basically having a big rally and trying to fire up the troops heading forward. In addition to, because of television and now social media, trying to introduce the candidate to a wider audience. And you might laugh and say, well, why do you have to introduce Joe Biden? Uh, he's been in politics forever, but um, he, he hasn't been president. And there's a lot of people that don't know everything about Joe Biden. I think most observers agree he, he has room to grow and do better on that front. So from that basic um, viewpoint, their, their convention was a success. It's kind of hard to argue with that. Adrian, what did you think of the convention last week? I, I thought they did as well as they could. I thought it was I thought it was good. It was bizarre. Um, as somebody who's <laughs> been doing political work for a long time, that's not what I expect when uh, you say that we're having a party convention. But I think considering the circumstances, they did quite well. John brings up a good point. There are plenty of um, bite-sized chunks of video that are out there for social media. That's a big part of this um, in terms of introducing folks who are a little less politically engaged, who might only vote in presidential elections. Um, in the general election to the candidate. Um, so I think that they, they did what they needed to do. And how do you think the format worked? Because at some points, it seemed like the lack of an audience maybe helped make the message more personal, like during Michelle Obama's speech. But a lot of times it felt really awkward and like a political infomercial, I guess. <laughs> uh, and it made me, it made me not want to... It made me not want to watch. John Selleck, what did you make of this format? I think, first of all, like the three of us and a lot of your listeners are our politicos. And so we know what conventions were like before. So we're probably oddballs in this situation um, that folks like even some of my family members that think I'm nuts for ever having been involved in politics. They don't watch this stuff around the clock, so they don't remember <laughs> or, or care what it looked like or sounded like. So. I agree with you. There were times, especially um, the way they still carried out the speeches for Biden and um, Harris in these essentially look empty looking auditoriums. I thought that came off as kind of odd. Yeah. Um, you know, I think President Trump made some kind of comments about, you know, live will come off way better than recorded. Um, that's probably true overall. But, you know, I think we're living in a really weird place right now because of COVID. We've been all living on Zoom, all the like commercials on TV 
or a whole bunch of Zoom videos. So in that sense, it didn't really look any different than what most of America has been exposed to over the last several months. I do think like the process, from a process standpoint, it's fascinating to me how they did this and did it at the quality level they did it. Um, you know, they probably had too much airtime, and so they had too much stuff in there. It would cause you to change the channel. <laughs> most, <laughs> most of America is conditioned to listen for, a, you know, for an ad on digital for six or 15 seconds, and then they're going to move. So, you know, having four minutes of Billie Eilish, even though I love her, probably caused a lot of people to want to change the station. Um, <laughs> but that's free TV time, and they had to use it. But nonetheless, I think um, on the good side for them, people are kind of used to this oddness um, because of COVID and all the Zoom life that we're living and it created all these, like Adrian said, bite-sized chunk shareable videos that could go forward. Um, the downside, I think, lastly, is conventions may be changed forever, um, and maybe not in a good way. Um, I've been involved in a couple different conventions. Uh, you always are going to have the the team that wins is going to con- kind of control the message. They're going to want to be able to not have protests, not have counter messaging from their own podium. And what we have now basically is a few politicos and a few TV producers sitting in a room basically making the eight-hour Democratic mini-drama. Hmm. And there's no chance for counter voices or anything else to happen. And that's a concern going forward, I think, for, for all conventions. Hmm. Uh, Adrian Heeman, uh, I, I think the the pressure here was to try to stage something that looked enough like a convention that people would recognize it but not to draw attention to the fact that it's not really a convention because there's nobody there. How, how well did the Democrats strike that balance last week? You know, I, I, like I said, I, I think they, they did well enough. Um, you know, most people um, are not, to John's point, not that familiar with how a convention actually works and what it's supposed to look like. Um, so I, I thought they did okay. Um, you know, you, you made the point that there were, there were some points where it was just a little like sort of weird and off-putting and, and I agree with that, but, um, you know, John's right. I mean, that's, that's what people are used to right now. I think, I thought they did okay. I'm really interested to see, um, what Republicans, uh, come up with as a sort of, um, counter program to that this week. I think it's going to look real different. Hmm. I just got to jump in and say it really concerns me that I'm more positive about the dumb convention than Adrian is, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> right? That's not the way this is supposed to go. <laughs> John um, and I are like the Statler and Waldorf of Michigan <laughs> politics, right? We're just like two bald, uh, graying old guys who right. hate everything about us. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of references that lots of people might not get, I'm not sure everyone's old enough to get that reference. <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk quickly about Joe Biden and the case that he made for him himself at this convention. And I want to start with a clip where he's contrasting himself with President Trump during his acceptance speech. Our current president has failed in his most basic duty to the nation. He's failed to protect us. He's failed to protect America. And my fellow Americans, that is unforgivable. As president, I'll make you a promise. I'll protect America. I will defend us from every attack, seen and unseen, always, without exception, every time. So that was uh, Joe Biden making his case to America for why he should be the president of the United States. How well do you think he did at both prosecuting Donald Trump's presidency as well as selling his own vision for the country, which is always the challenge when you are the challenger giving that speech. Adrian Hemond, I'll start with you. 
You know, I think he he laid out out the case uh, in terms of negative partisanship very well, which I think is the most important thing. That's what motivates um, political behavior by Americans right now is their feelings about the other side. And I think that he did um, a, a perfectly fine job doing that. Um, you know, I think he did. I, I definitely give him like an A minus for that. In terms of making the case for himself, which I think is less important in the current political environment, um, you know, maybe like a solid B minus. Um, you know, I think the the case for Joe Biden is that he's not Donald Trump, and so you know, drawing that contrast with the president was job one, and I think he did a very good job of that. John, did he did he make the case well enough for himself as opposed to against Donald Trump? Well, I think we'd probably all agree the bar was set pretty low, and it was set pretty low first and foremost by President Trump, mm. uh, who'd been trying to paint Biden as incompetent or over the hill for quite a while. Um, Biden likes to um, pour fuel on that fire with all his gaffes and stuff that he does over time. Um, but the bottom line is because that bar was so low and because he just found it in, inside him to do the speech they gave him and to deliver it with gusto, mm. Um, I think he did mostly make the case for himself. You know, like Adrian says, right now the election is really about do you approve of President Trump enough to in his policies to support him or not? Um, really, Joe Biden could end up being president um, for the first time or twice. He wasn't the other person. He wasn't Bernie <laughs> Sanders and then he wasn't Donald Trump. Wow. And heck, you know, so much about politics is timing and luck uh, and positioning that you don't necessarily have anything to do with. And Biden's well positioned um, for that. I thought he came off a little angry might not be the right word, but a little too serious. Like I noticed that he only smiled twice once when he said he was a proud Democrat and once when he talked about his family. Um, and those are two good times for him. But I think he was so concerned with making the case that he was, he has the scruples and he's in charge and he'll take charge where a lot of people feel like maybe the country is, you know, getting kind of chaotic and that's what Biden's under attack for hmm. by the president. I also think he needs to motivate his party base and his party base is fractured obviously between in general progressives and more moderate um, sounding folks, plus the independents and others are soft Republicans they're trying to bring along for the ride. Um, and they very disciplined in a very disciplined fashion did not get into their policy differentials that they have. And when you are, you know, when you're recording, essentially pre-recording an eight hour mini series, you can control that pretty well. Sure. And so if Biden wasn't going to rant and rave about the Green New Deal or Medicaid for all or anything else that fires up his progressives that might be suspicious of him in replacement of that, I think is why in some ways he was so strident um, in prosecuting a case against Trump, because at least that's the one thing that unifies everyone in their base. Hmm. Uh, give us a call if you want to join the conversation and tell us what you thought of the Democratic National Convention last week. Did you like the format without a live audience? Do you think there was a clear message that can help bring the party together and get people to the polls in November? And what do you expect to hear from Republicans this week? We especially want to hear from you if you are one of the people who calls themselves an undecided voter. If you are waiting to see something from the Republicans this week, or we're waiting to see something from Democrats last week that we're going to help you make up your mind. If you are not sure what you're going to do, we especially want to hear what you thought of last week and what you're expecting to see from the president and his party this week. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today 
and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about last week's DNC and this week's RNC. And we will get to your comments and calls. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are John Selleck and Adrian Heman, two politicos here in the state of Michigan, pay a, a lot of attention to politics. We're, we're talking about the DNC, which wrapped up last Thursday, and the RNC, which starts tonight. Are you somebody who is waiting to see these conventions to decide what you're doing in November? If you are, uh, tell us what you saw last week and what impression it made on you. Did it help you make up your mind? Uh, tell us what you're expecting to see this week from the Republicans as they gather in Charlotte uh, to talk about their case to the American people. As always, again, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get to listeners and uh, people on social, me- on social media. I'm going to talk about a number of elected officials from Michigan who got a chance to speak at the DNC last week, including Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who made a really timely speech about voting by mail ahead of the November election. Here's part of what she said. And let's be clear, there is absolutely zero difference between voting by mail and voting absentee. Millions of Americans have been voting absentee for decades. Donald Trump, his family, his staff, they all vote by mail. In fact, in states like Colorado, Utah, and Oregon, voters have been voting by mail for years. Republicans and Democrats agree it is safe. That was Jocelyn Benson, our Secretary of State here in the state of Michigan, talking to the Democrats during the Democratic National Convention Last week, talking about mail and mail-in voting, we've got a comment about that as well. Caleb in Detroit says the Senate is never going to pass any USPS legislation if it means potentially costing Republicans the White House in November. Uh, John, uh, I'll start with you. Uh, React to this whole controversy over the Postal Service, of all things, the one government function, really, that uh, the government service that is in in the Constitution becoming the centerpiece of controversy during this election. Well, like in America, it seems like lately, uh, we're just, it's each various American institutions turn to be ripped to shreds. Um, and that's pretty uncomfortable <laughs> for some of us. It's also eye-opening even to me personally, how many people in general about various institutions already are pretty cynical about them and they don't mind watching them get ripped down because they didn't think they served them, you know, them in the first place. Um, I'd say probably the post office isn't quite there yet, uh, but it's heading in that direction right now. I do think America deserved a discussion about the process to make sure if we're going to have to switch to this voting by mail because of COVID, that we're doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. But right now in America, like we can't have nice things. We can't have a discussion. Almost instantaneously, the left and the right retreat to their very far corners, and then it becomes a talking points fight. You, you know, there was this Pew poll, though. About Are you there? The post- yeah, I'm still here. Uh, there was this Pew 
poll about the post office recently, though, that showed 91% of Americans like the post office and think it's a vital service and, and count on it. So this idea that people are fed up with it or frustrated with it, I'm not sure exactly where that comes from, Adrian Heman. Well, I mean, I, I think I know where it comes from. It comes from the president. Um, and, you know, it, there is broad bipartisan support for the Postal Service, partly because, um, you know, rural Americans who tend to vote Republican, um, by and large, um, rely on the post office a lot, sure. right? Um, you know, there are a lot of private carriers that, you know, they don't want to deliver to Pig's Knuckle Township um, because that that's not profitable to them. <laughs> the post office has to deliver to Pig's Knuckle Township. It's why it exists. Um, and so I think the uh, the president, this is this was not a smart fight for the president to pick. Um, people like the Postal Service. You referenced that Pew study. Um, but a lot of his base likes the Postal Service, hmm. um, you know, and apart from just electoral concerns, you know, we're, we're starting to hear things about people not getting their medication on time, you know, and checks being delayed and that sort of thing. Um, and that's um, quite apart from the election. You know, rural Americans rely on those sorts of things just as much as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm back. I'm sorry I got cut off, Stephen. But yeah, no, you were brief, here. I was just going to say you didn't. I, I just think America, America deserved a, a calm discussion about all the things that we've had to adjust in our lives against our will. Everything has been adjusted. I have to have my wife made me get like weights and a treadmill in the basement. Now I can't pretend I went to the gym. I have to do it in front of her. Um, but we could, we should have been able to have a discussion about this, and we can't. That's the problem. Um, I think Secretary Benson made her case on your clip. I think even her argument is a little too simplistic about this. Voting by mail uh, and absentee is different just in the sense of the mass quantities and the change in uh, information that voters need to understand how to do it. Hmm. Is the Postal Service up to it? Do we have to adjust laws in Michigan to make sure that ballots actually get counted? Because even in the situation where the Democrats want to push absent or mail-in voting. The law in Michigan is, uh, I think, Senator or, uh, Congressman Slacken was saying before the earlier break, if the ballot doesn't show up by election day, it doesn't count. It can't even just be postmarked. There's right. a lot of things we still need to work on that we haven't been able to do. Um, so it's a confusing situation. And what it, and it will do is tear down the faith in the the ultimate thing, forget the post office, the ultimate thing we have to hold together, which is the validity of an, of an election. Of the election itself, sure. Uh, I want to get to some callers here. Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. Hey. I'm not surprised, but I'm nonetheless disappointed that there was a real lack of talk about policy during mm. the Democratic Convention. There was a lot of talk about how bad Trump is, and, and he is. But we have a health care crisis in this country. Most most Americans want single-payer health care. But the Democratic Party is against it for reasons I can only speculate. And I wish there was more talk of policy at the convention. Hmm. Aaron, i, I got to say, if you were disappointed with last week, I suspect your disappointment will grow this week. In fact, Republicans have announced that they are not even going to have a platform this year. They're just going to reaffirm their support for President Trump. Uh, John and Adrian react to that. John, I'll start with you. You still there, John? Here, I just came back. Oh, I was knocked sorry. off again. Okay. What was the question? Uh, I was talking about how the GOP says they're not going to have a platform this year. They're just going to reform support for Trump, which I think will make Aaron, our caller, even more frustrated. <laughs> well, I do, as I mentioned earlier, I do think the the Democrats, they have a strategy to win. They're ahead in the polls right now to the extent you can believe that. 
there's because they're not Trump. Um, they they concocted a or constructed a entire convention uh, to make sure they stayed on that message. Mm-hmm. They did not want to get, start getting into a fight on policy because they're already winning with where they're at right now. Um, I saw the stuff on Twitter last night about the GOP not having a typical um, policy agenda. I did then see a few hours later that they started putting out some some documents laying out what the president's second term um, policy agenda is going to be. But I think that the key thing to look at is that um, in the Democratic convention, they did discuss you know racial justice. They t- they discussed gun violence. Um, they discussed health care. Um, but one thing that a lot of observers, including an article I just read by Ron Brownstein um, in The Atlantic, was that they didn't go hard enough into the economy. And to me, the one thing that the one place in every poll that comes out that shows Trump with either some kind of a lead or at least he's still in the ballgame like tied is on the economy. That's the one thing voters still give him. So I don't think the Democrats went hard enough on that issue. And that is the opening policy wise. If there was a policy you were going to talk about at this convention for Trump to try to regain some ground. To me, it would be um, the economy. It would be that. huh? Uh, Adrian Heman, what do you make of the the idea of more policy talk in these conventions and the GOP saying, eh, we might stay largely away from that this week. Well, uh, look, the, the president is a showman um, and he seems to be at the wheel for this convention. So it's not a surprise that they're not going to talk about policy because by and large, that's not actually what voters want. Right. Um, I mean, there's a reason that um, the the partisanship is so intense in this country right now. Right. People are people are not talking broadly about policy. Um, they're talking about symbolism. Right. And um, what they think is symbolically wrong with the other side. And so that's what I expect to see, uh, you know, during the GOP convention um, is a lot of sort of social grievance, because that's what motivates voters right now. Um, and so I think it's you know, I, I do agree with John that there was a little bit of a missed opportunity um, for the Democrats in terms of prosecuting a case on the economy, um, particularly on economic inequality, um, which is only intensified during the pandemic, right? Um, You know, Amazon and Google and Facebook are doing great. Um, You know, your local retailer is not. So I do that. That's why I gave, you know, the former vice president a B minus. I do think that that was that was the one big opportunity that they missed there. Mm. But by and large, you know, voters are not they're not tuned into this election because of, um, you know, wanting to have airy debates about public policy. They're tuning into this election because of how they feel about the president, positive or negative. Right. Right. Uh, Again, Aaron, really appreciate the call. Let's go to Maryland and Oak Park, Maryland. What's on your mind? Hello, Stephen. Listen, I'm going to be really quick because I know it's almost the end again of mm-hmm. your uh, program time. It's time to banish all political pollsters and pundits forever <laughs> or at least until after November 3rd. <laughs> I really think this would help uh, move the election out of the game show format. But there's one thing I have to add. I usually don't add things, but um, the thing I have to add about the post office is here we are trying to scrape up money for the post office. Meanwhile, all Pompeo has to do is wave his magic uh, national security wand, a uh, national security emergency wand to, to push through $8.1 billion <laughs> to finance Saudi Arabia's war. What yeah. the hell is that? Yeah, Marilyn, uh, that's a great point, this idea of where money comes from and why why it matters. Um, I really appreciate the call. This idea of banning pollsters and pundits, though, I mean, let's be very careful about that. This is America. We have constitutional amendments that protect all of that behavior. But I get what you're saying, that we want to 
not have this be like a game show. And I think the the point is that is up to us as Americans. We are in control of all of that in a way that I don't think we always quite take responsibility for. We don't need a ban on pollsters and pundits. We need to use polling and punditry more responsibly. But I really appreciate uh, the call. All right, uh, Adrian Hemond and John Selleck, it was really great to have both of you here. Thanks very much for coming by. Thank you. Always Glad to be here. Yeah, we'll talk again after the Republican National Convention and get your uh, reactions to that. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will, too. We will have a conversation about a big settlement made for victims of the Flint water crisis, $600 million. We're going to talk about what that money will do and whether the people of Flint are finally actually getting justice as a result. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.